Matthew 28. Uh, we're going to go to Acts 13 and Acts 11 as well if you want to do a sword drill. But uh, Matthew 28, quite simply, there's a, a line, and you know this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus' words. Go therefore. You see, during missions emphasis, many times pastors, myself included, we feel the necessity to prompt our people to understand how important it is and how vital it is that we live on mission, that we live selflessly, that we abandon and die to self so that the gospel can go forward. And so many of us, we have a tendency to start with the idea of, let me explain the, the impact, let me explain the results, let me explain the consequences if we do or don't do this. And so we say, you know, we got to tell them exactly what the results will be. And our hope and our prayer as pastors, and we mean extremely well because we love you and we care for the flock, but our hope and prayer is that if we'll just let them know the results, then maybe we can spur some action. But Jesus, he didn't say, let me tell you the end results of what your sacrifice will do. Let me tell you the end results of what your giving will do. Let me tell you the end results, and then maybe that'll prompt you. No, what did he base his entire calling for all of us to be missionaries on? He said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because I have all authority, that's enough. Therefore, therefore, not, well, tell me what's going to happen. What, what if this guy makes it? What if this guy doesn't? What if they don't see fruit? What if they do see fruit? No, 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 no. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, and so it's with that backdrop, and we're going to wrap up with that at the end, but it's with that backdrop that I want to zoom out and fulfill my assignment of sharing with you. Why reach cities? Why, why is it that we're planning churches and the goal of your pastor and your pastoral team is to hit all of those darker areas where there's lots of people congregated together, the population density? Why is it we're doing that? Well, 84% of American city, or Americans live near urban areas. 84% of all the people that we want to reach that are our neighbors live near urban centers. And so part of the reason that your wall in the hallway out there has all of those dots on it is that your pastor and pastoral team understand that if we're going to reach our nation, 84% of those folks live in these clusters. So we want to go to those clusters. Now, those clusters happen to be named... Baltimore, San Francisco, Miami. They happen to have names, but it's really simply clusters of people that need the gospel. Amen? And so if that's where they are, by 2050, 68% of the world's population will live in urban centers. By 2050, 68% of every human being will live near a city. The world is coming to U.S. cities, so reaching our cities can help us reach the world. 
When you have immigration, when you have people trying to better their lives and they come and they send resource back home and they send, they tell you of all of the, the bounty and blessing of America. When we reach our cities, we're also sending out missionaries right back where these folks have come from. And many come here from destitute uh, situations and they're just trying to better their lives no different than you want to better your life in Albany, Georgia. But when we reach the urban areas, we're sending back missionaries to the same people that are coming here for famine, persecution, war, or simply financial means to better their family. And so reaching cities is important. Let me make it more personal. In Baltimore, one reason that we need to keep it up in Baltimore and reach our cities, we've had 348 homicides this year in Baltimore. 348 people that were here a year ago are not in Baltimore anymore. Only one-third of those murders have been uh, case closed. Essentially, they, they've only got one-third of the suspects. So that means if you commit a murder in Baltimore right now, you have a 66% chance to not get caught. You know what it's like to live under that every day? To be a citizen in an area where, where walking down the street could mean the end? We've got to reach the cities and give them a hope beyond what they see out their front door. We haven't seen less than 300 homicides since 2014. And I ran the math on this just to help you understand, because you might say, well, that's Baltimore, it's a different area, and the numbers and everything, it could get fuzzy. Let me show you something. If this was New York City, our homicide rate is 58 people per 100,000. If this was true of New York City, they would have had 4,902 murders this year. Can you imagine what the news would do with 4,900 murders in a U.S. city? But in Baltimore City, that's exactly what's happening. So there's a need for hope, but no one knows where to go. We're in a post-Christian area. The gospel was once there. The church once thrived there. But it's moved on. And the people are enlightened, refined, better. And, and, and in their minds, they don't have a need for it. And so we're trying to bring the gospel to a place that has long forgotten it. Why plant churches? Peter Wagner says the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. Essentially, it's because uh, new churches are prone to reach people at a higher clip or a higher rate. So it takes maybe eight people in a congregation of a new church to reach one uh, lost person. Whereas it's over 30 in an established church. And so part of the reason that you plant churches is because your ratio goes higher. Because it's new and fresh and there's not a lot of things clogging up the system. You just go in and share the gospel. And you just focus on what matters. And so part of the reason that we plant churches is we're just putting a lot of new fresh gospel all over the place. And we're throwing seed, throwing seed. And that's part of the, the reason. The vigorous continual planning of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for one, numerical growth in the body of Christ in any city, and the continual corporate revival, uh, renewal and revival in the existing churches. Tim Keller, he's in New York, and, and uh, one of the things is that when your church sends people, when your church sends resource, what did Jesus say about our treasure? Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So one of the things that planting churches and sending resource does is it puts your heart there. It allows you to, to care and to think about it. Church planting exists purely because worship doesn't. When it comes down to it, the reason that we need to be planting churches, the reason that we need to be starting new works is because worship is not taking place in pockets around the world. And we want worship to be there. 
you might not be able to worship more. You might scream loud and sing and, and celebrate the Lord with every ounce of your fiber. But how can I multiply worship? I multiply disciples. Because when I lead someone to Christ and they begin to use those lungs, they begin to rise up, they begin to sing and shout, well, now I've just multiplied worship. Alone on my own faith, and we're a very singular society in the Western world. We're just all about me and my and what can I do and what the Lord's doing for me and, and how are my prayer life going, and it's all me, me, me. And, and the Lord says, no, 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 what I want you to do is I want you to reach somebody else because I'm, I'm, I'm jealous for worship. This was somewhat of a mistake, somewhat of a, a joke to my assistant. But Dr. Katz said, make sure we know how to pray for planners. And so I put this quote up, but my assistant thought I was serious. So she put my name up there. So I'm quoting myself right now. <laughs> the best way to learn how to pray for a missionary is to become one in your own neighborhood. You want to know how to pray for me? You go try to reach the lost person at the grocery store. You want to know how to pray for me? You go try to love on that inner city kid that you have no idea their name. No different than what we did yesterday. I just sat there and, hey, what's your name? Well, I'm, I'm Garrett. Awesome, Garrett. You're here celebrating, cheering somebody on. What's their name? Well, it's Daniel. Hey, Daniel, you're awesome. Daniel, you're great. And I don't know anything about their story. All I know is I'm human and they're human. And I could cheer on basketball. So if you want to know how to pray for me, you go try to go to the hard place. You go try to find the person that's lost. You go try to find the person at the checkout register. You pay for somebody's groceries behind you. You do the work of a missionary right here in Albany. And I promise you, my friend, you will quickly learn what it's like to pray for someone like me up in Baltimore. Because you'll say, Lord, if I'm going through this in my hometown, let me pray for San Francisco. Let me pray for Miami. Let me pray for Orlando. Let me pray for these church plans. Because I understand Lord, what it is to try to tell people about the goodness of God. But if all we do is write the check, but if all we do is say, sure, pastor, that's a good sermon, here's a dollar, then we've dismissed the responsibility of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. And we are not to sit idly by while someone else shares that gospel. If you want to know how to play for church planners, pray for their spiritual life. It's a lonely feeling to be a planner. Usually it's parachute, you get dropped off, you wonder if anybody even cares for you to make it. People don't understand your motives, they're like, why go somewhere else? There's a perfectly good church right here. Pray for the pastor's family, that the pastor would nurture their home first. I've seen so many pa uh, church planners and pastors, for that matter, burn out because they're so worried about their flock and they're so worried about reaching other people that their own children miss them. Their own wives don't get to see them. Pray for faithfulness and fruit. Pray that there'll be people that are faithful, not just there to try to get somewhere, not there to try to build a name or a reputation, but simply be faithful. Pray that the fruit would come as the harvest the Lord of the harvest sends the laborers. Here's what we've been up to, your plant in Baltimore. 
We've, have, we've uh, had three locations. Those dots represent where we've been located the last few years. And uh, in those locations, as I told you, one of them is uh, inner city East Baltimore there in the center. And that's in an area called McKeldery Park. Uh, many of you that have come to Baltimore, you've, you've been familiar with that place. We uh, also have a gem program. I don't know if this, this is Africa. I'll just go with whatever you got up here. So this, uh, we have a, a ministry in Africa that we've been um, in since 2013. There's 160 children in school. It's 100% funded by our church and then outside donors that go um, through CaptivateGlobal.org. They sponsor a kid one-to-one, and so um, they divide it up and things like that. But we're, we have 160 kids in school because we went to this area where uh, there was no drinking water, there was no education, the kids weren't going to school, the daughters were being sold off um, in exchange for cattle because they didn't offer the family any value. So we said, man, if we educate these children and educate especially the daughters, then we're going to be able to provide value. And so I, I screamed at the top of my lungs on this dirt mound underneath a tree with one light bulb, and I said, your children will think it is common to go to university. And they all looked at me, and they're like, this guy is a loony tune. <laughs> but with faith over the years... We now have 160 kids that are going through school and the kids are starting to believe that they can go to, to, to college and they can get an education. We've, uh, your plant in Baltimore has led for me to be involved with the BBA, the Baltimore Baptist Association. And uh, my peers asked me to become the executive director a couple of years ago. And so by sending me, you've also now impacted every single church in Baltimore because I'm able to lead them from a missions perspective and love on them. And that's what uh, Brother Bevel came up a few months ago to, to, to share and to love on our guys. And so your plant, I want you to understand that. When you write that check and you support and you say, hey, this is going to Baltimore, I want you to understand church plants don't just happen in three years and stop. You're sending a family, you're sending seed, you're sending long-term support. And so now our plant, Captivate, myself, we're able to impact all 85 Southern Baptist churches right there in Baltimore. Because why? You decided to send me. You decided to send me. So now your influence over my life and my passion for revival from Dr. Cat and my understanding of all these truths that you are taught here every single week, now they go through me into our pastor's. And so I'm able to bring somebody like Ken and say, hey, can you come encourage? Can you come bring some of that? Recently, we're about to launch out a new church from our church called The, Gath uh, the Gathering. This is Tyrell. Tyrell's been my assistant for the last couple of years. And uh, in our Dundalk campus, we were recently approached uh, this past year, hey, um, another church that was about a mile and a half away had been looking for property for about two years. And they said, we can't find anything. And we hate to ask, but would you be willing to sell your property to us? And so at first we were like, you know, no, no thank you. And so about a year ago we said no. And they came back again about six months ago. And so essentially we sat down and what we decided to do was we're going to uh, sell that building to this congregation that really, really needs it. And they're a great um, congregation doing a great work for the Lord. And so we're taking Tyrell and we're launching him out to start a whole new church called The Gathering. So now you guys, congratulations, you're about to be grandparents In my notes right here, it says, let's go look at the clock in the back. <laughs> Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. 
You see, I want to talk about the personal. The Lord said go, so we go. But I want to show you Acts 13 is often referenced. It's a church at Antioch. It's often referenced as the the main hub or the main center of of outreach and mission and church planting. Because this is a place where we say that the, the Holy Spirit of God sat down and said, send out these folks. And so we look at Antioch and we say, man, look at that church. Isn't that great? But I want to show you something. It says, now, now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene and Menin, a long, uh, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And often we read that in, in chapter 13, but we, we don't realize the depth of all this. Number one, they're sending off two of their five leaders. That's 40% of the church's leadership was getting sent off. This wasn't a, this wasn't a small sacrifice. Can you imagine if we took all of the Sherwood staff families and we said, you know, uh, where's about 40% right there? Bye. Go, go start a new work. So 40% of the leaders were being asked a big, big, big sacrifice. But Spurgeon urged his congregation in a sermon called The Water Rewatered. He said, we encourage our members to leave to found other churches. No, we seek to persuade them to do it. We ask them to scatter throughout the land to become godly seed, which God shall bless. I believe so long as we do this, we shall prosper. It seems like a paradox, doesn't it? The more you give away, the more that you yourself will be blessed, but it's true. Time and time again, when a church is a giving church, when a church is a sending church, when a church is a generous church, God is able to backfill that blessing. But it all starts with saying, what's in your hand? Is it yours or is it God's? And that goes even personal, and we'll get to that in a second. But here's what I wanna warn you today. Never be so in awe that you play no part at all. Never be so in awe that you play no part at all. What I've noticed in in Christian circles and in our churches, what happens is we create this hierarchy that the Bible really doesn't give us. And what we do is we we just go, wow, that family's a missionary to where? Wow. And even though we're we're not Catholic, we kind of appoint them as the saints. Wow. Look what they do for the Lord. Look, look where they go. Oh, wow, we've got a missionary in San Francisco. That must be hard. We've got a missionary in Vegas or Phoenix. Oh, wow. And what we do by doing that, when we become in awe of someone responding to God's call, then we don't have any work at all. We sit back. We say, well, I'll just be faithful in my congregation. I'll just do what I'm supposed to do. But we create this us and them caste system inside of the calling of God. And my friends, that is not to be so. You were every bit the missionary. You were called to be every bit the missionary as someone on the opposite side of this globe. Now the question is, does the authority of Jesus matter to you? Because he didn't say results, he didn't say where you'll go, he didn't say what it looks like. He said, all authority's been given to me, therefore. 
therefore. But when we look at Acts 13, we've got to back up and rewind and look at Acts 11. Because Acts 11 describes what this church was. Why did God grab some people from this church and send them out? What was it about them? It says, now those were scattered because of the persecution that had arose over Stephen. So you have a people that had already been persecuted for their faith. These were a people that were serious about the word of God. They were persecuted and they didn't go somewhere else and find comfort. They didn't go find solace. What they did is they went to a, a, a big city, 500,000 plus people, and they started a church. Is that we just got ran out of the last place. Let's go do it again. And so these were a persecuted people that started a church in Antioch, Acts chapter 11. And it says that they rose over uh, Stephen and verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch, you see on that first that it went da-da-da-da, they spoke only to the Jews. So when they sent out, they were only going after the Jews. But look what it says. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, or this could read the non-Jews or the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Jew and the Gentile, same house of God. Big city Antioch. Antioch, when it was built, it was built with a dividing wall to separate people. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. Now I know, I know in Albany, Georgia, that there is no kind of dividing lines. I know in Albany, Georgia, there is no history of an invisible wall that keeps us from each other. Am I stepping on somebody yet? But they went to this city and they said, you know who's going to be in our church? We're going to take some Jews and we're going to lead them to the Lord. We're going to take some Gentiles, we're going to lead them to the Lord. We're going to put them in the same house and we're going to celebrate Jesus together. Look what happened to this church that ended up being a missionary sending church. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church back in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. They were like, hey man, go check that out. What's going on? When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful and to be steadfast in purpose for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord so now you got Barnabas in the mix and Barnabas is like man this is so good this is so good what's happening here God is breaking out people are united in a place they're supposed to be divided and the wall is there but we don't care about that wall we're bringing all kinds of people and there were 18 different type of sects by the time this church was formed right there in Antioch so it was a diverse city so Barnabas went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul. He's like, Saul, come check this out. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. That was a parenthetical reference, the whole, hey, come check this out. You're looking at, you're like, that's not in there. It's not. That's the PTV version, Pastor Tolly version. So he said, Saul, come check this out. So he brought Saul for a whole year. Everybody say, for a whole year. For a whole year, Saul came back with Barnabas. They met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, look at this, look at this, look at this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. This was the first time you and I say, I'm a Christian. But our, no, no, I didn't tell you to say it. I say, we often say that, but never, I understand. It's the Baltimore accent. No, but what we do is we, we say, well, I'm a Christian. 
Are you this kind of Christian? Who's at your dinner table? What bridges are you going over? Who are you talking to in the supermarket? Who do you have over for the big game? Now listen, I've been here 10 years. Dr. Cat and I were talking about this yesterday. And most of the new members to Sherwood have been from a different race than the majority race at Sherwood. And you all, I don't know if you realize this, you're in the middle of breaking down all of those old stereotypes. And you should be proud of your church. You should be proud to be a part of this place. You should be glad to celebrate and worship here and say my church is exactly like that. We are headed in that exact right direction. And I know the heart of your pastor, the heart of your pastor is, I mean, you know how Dr. Cat is. He's always like, well, we'll just take our time. No, Dr. Cat's like pedal to the metal, baby. And so listen, before you just go out and say, hey, I'm a Christian, the first time they were called Christians, this was the evidence of who they were. And you know what? They couldn't just be called those Jews that met Jesus. They couldn't just be called those Hellenists that met Jesus. There was something different about that mix of people that got together. They were no longer subject to the politics of the day or the ways of the world. They weren't led by some other leader. They were led by King Jesus. That's what was different. If you're jotting notes, I want you to write down what was different about this church. One, diversity. Diversity was different in Antioch. So you know what that helped them? When they became missionaries to other cities, they were able to understand. The church brings unity in the midst of diversity. That's what we do. We bring unity in the midst of diversity. The church doesn't put up with division. The church is for unity. And so one of the reasons we plant church is to bring unity. Number two, dependence. The church brings grace in the midst of chaos. The church brings grace. When Barnabas saw these people gathered and worshiping in this way, it says that when he saw the grace of God. Do you know the people that are least gracious you ever meet people, you make a little mistake, and they're just, they can't wait to jump and pounce. Don't point at them. Don't point at them. But you ever meet people, it's almost like you couldn't let that go, could you? You had to make sure I knew that I made a mistake. I just want to baptize them with a backhand, but I don't. <laughs> I don't. But the church should be the place for grace. Amen? The church is the place to where you see a fault, you see a brokenness, and the only time you go is that you go in private and you say, hey, I see a pattern. And I want you to change this, not because I'm trying to embarrass you or hurt you or hold you down or make you any less. What I want to talk to you about is, is, is Jesus your authority? But it's a place for grace. The church brings grace in the midst of chaos. Third word, discipleship. The church brings a new way to be human. That's all discipleship is. You come out, you're like that raisin. That's when you're born. <laughs> you, that's not good either. Follow that with Jay-Z. But you come out and you're And if you don't meet Jesus, 
you never really stop acting like that. Eh, me, pay attention to me, do me, I want me, I want stuff like that. But when you meet Jesus, when you become a disciple, you learn a new way to be human. You learn that the new way is not about me. The new way is about lifting others up above myself. The new way is that I'm surrendered and I follow the lordship of Christ. I'm not the Lord anymore. So this church had discipleship. For a whole year they sat there and they taught these folks. But can I tell you a secret when it comes to sending and planting? We often use this, we often use this phrase, Brother Ken, we say, we, we planted a church. But can I tell you something, church? We don't plant churches. We plant Christians. You understand the difference? We don't plant churches. There's never been a church planted. There have been Christians who have been planted in a culture and when Christians meet uh, disciples and they lead people to the Lord, they congregate together. And when two or three are gathered, then a church is formed. But we don't plan a church. We're planning Christians. So you say, well, pastor, how can I be sure to be a part of the move of God and sit under the authority of Jesus? All heaven and earth has been given to him. How can I be sure to be a part of that? I want you to go and I want you to look and understand Matthew 28. 18 to 20. You see, Spurgeon says every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either a missionary or it hasn't sunk in yet. You're either doing the will of God and you're reaching your neighbors and you're loving and praying for the lost and you're giving and, and sacrificing your life for the good of others and the gospel in your community. You're either doing that or you're an imposter. Because why? Let's break down Matthew to close. Let's break down Matthew 28. Look what this passage says. Therefore, as I plant my life, there are four words that draw out of there. It says, baptized, I will be surrendered. You see, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples. What is a disciple of all nations? Baptizing them. That's a surrendered person. Am I a surrendered person? Teaching. There's a graphic at the end that I want them to pull up. Right here. Look at what this passage tells us. Go, therefore. The authority of, of heaven has been given to Jesus. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What does it mean to be baptized? It means to be surrendered. When that young man was baptized a little while ago, what he was doing is saying, my old self is dead with Jesus. I arise to walk a new life. Are we surrendered, church? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching. Everyone say teaching. teaching. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Do you come week after week after week and hear sermons? That's great. They did their job. The preacher did his job. Am I teachable? Because we don't plant churches. We plant Christians. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. You see, this is the thing we get wrong here. 
I think we actually live this one out too much because we misunderstand what it means. We actually do observe a lot in church, don't we? We observe the the person working in the nursery. We observe the person leading a Sunday school class. We observe the person that's sharing the gospel with the friends. We observe, but that's not what the word really means. It's more like practice. Put into practice all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you. Everybody say, with me. Jesus is with you. The one whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given to, the one who calls you to be a Christian who is planted, whether it's here or Malaysia or India or San Francisco. We don't plant churches. We plant Christians. So what is the most important thing you can do day to day? You can learn to be a great Christian. Learn to be a great follower. To live a surrendered life. To be teachable. To put your faith into practice. And when you do so, know that you are never, ever alone. Sherwood, when you meet the need and when you're called and compelled by your church to sacrifice just a little bit more, I want you to understand something. The heart of your shepherd, the heart of your plethora of shepherds at this church has nothing to do with what will happen here, it has to do what can happen there. But when you're ascending church, you've got to send with good seed. And so the heart of our people is to say, Lord, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to sacrifice for them. I may go from time to time, but Lord, I know it's my responsibility to be good seed. And the greenest grass should be right here around Sherwood Church in Albany, Georgia. Because we are so saturating this soil, we are so sharing the gospel, we are so loving our neighbor, we are so getting to know the other, that we too can be called Christian. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you and we realize, Lord, that you're doing a great work all around the world, but we want to be involved. We want your kingdom to come and on earth be done as it is in heaven. But Father, we know our part. Our part, Lord, is to be called Christian. And so, Father, we come and we ask you, Lord, if there be any of us in this room that has not surrendered to Jesus, that has not laid down our own life and picked up the cross of Christ, been redeemed and set free by the blood of Jesus, Father, I pray that today would be the day where some man, some woman, some boy, some girl would say, you know what, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, my life must be given to Jesus. I pray, Father, that that person might admit their own sin, understanding they're not perfect, believe in the cross of Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus made and confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. And Father, for the rest of us that know you, Lord, we we have a tendency to take a little bit back 
If we're not careful, Lord, we, we don't risk as much. We don't stretch as much. And, and Father, the truth is we all want to be comfortable. And the flesh wants comfort. And so the flesh compels us, Lord, to pull back what you put in our hands to scatter and give. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would break us from the binds of the flesh, Lord, that, that we would no longer be trapped and entrapped by the enemy. We would no longer be uh, filled with self, Lord, but we would be selfless people. And, Father, I pray that you would renew and strengthen Sherwood so that she might continue to be a great sending church. And, Father, that cities all around this world, Lord, would be filled with scattered seed that come from this house. I pray, Father, that as you grow up Sherwood, Lord, that you would make her an amazing sending church. But, Father, we don't plant churches. We plant Christians. So, Father, I pray blessing on this house, Lord, that there be any man, woman, boy, or girl that is lacking in any good area, Lord, that they would be teachable. Father, they would be surrendered. And, Father, that they would know that you're with them. Father, we take our hands off of the wheel of our life. We give it to you. And we ask you, Lord, whether it be salvation or whether it be a recommitment and surrender, we ask you, Lord, to speak to us clearly this morning. Make all things new in our life because you have all authority. And we want to prove it by how we live. In Christ's name we pray together. And all God's people in this house said,